This is Manifest Mindset, where we delve into our true passions, inspire the best out of ourselves, and live our life with true intention every single day. All right, let's get started. Welcome back to another episode of Manifest Mindset. We're here um, today with Bob and Nick in the midst of the coronavirus again. <laughs> Hopefully, um, it's not too, hopefully it's not too misty out there. Hopefully you've uh, covered your mouth and we'll be okay. Yes. Hopefully we're still both free. Um, but how are you doing, Nick? You know, Bob, it's a it's interesting time out here. Um, you know, I'm sure there are changes all over the country. There certainly have been and certainly fast-paced changes. But it's happening here in California crazy fast, too. Um, yeah, Kaiser, where I'm working, we have gone to pretty much 85, 90% telehealth for all our physical therapy visits right now. Wow. Really? Um, yep. We, uh, yeah, so it's a huge jump. We're doing to really kind of take some big initiative in our community, um, protecting people. And so, uh, yeah, it's a change up. Let me tell you that for sure. We're really taking it day by day, hour by hour. You know, I work Monday, Tuesday, Thursday. And from Thursday when I clock that, coming into work Monday morning, already a ton of changes. Interesting. I, I wanted to talk to you about telehealth and your thoughts about that and if that's been implemented or not. Um, so right now, you say like 90% of your caseload is telehealth? Yep, for Kaiser. Then my other job for Evolution. Um, they have six shops out here in L.A. I believe that they've temporarily closed down at least three, maybe four of them. Uh, then as far as um, one of them that's still open is mine. So I'm going in for reduced hours. So where in the past I was previously there for, let's say, you know, 16 hours a week. I'm only in clinic for probably about seven hours a week now for some of the patients who still want to come in. Other than the rest is for trickling telehealth a little bit. But to be honest with you, we really aren't built around that system and aren't built around that patient volume to support it significantly. It's going to be a crutch to help get us by. Okay. Um, I'm not sure, like, what is going on in California. So is the, the the mayor or the governor say that all the businesses, all the essential businesses are to be open and everything's closed down. How, what is, what is happening at the Belmont yeah. California so the West Coast? Basically about two days ago, whatever the governor of New York said, he basically kind of copied and based in California. Um, so we kind of got more strict on, you know, who's essential personnel, who's not, who's allowed to do what, who's not. Um, okay. And they've, yeah, they've, they've really uh, they've hunkered down a bit. So, again, I don't even know if um, they've really implemented kind of that six-foot rule of trying to keep it uh, – kind of, kind of keep trying to keep people have their distance. How well is that going to be implemented? I have no idea. Um, yeah, there will be some challenges involved for sure. Yeah. Um, so, for the people listening, I think at the, at the future of this podcast, um, the – the government or the governor or the mayor, uh, whoever is in charge of the making the laws for for this for the state. Um, I guess for New York, I'll just say for my part, um, they say that all non-essential businesses are to shut down, and only the essential businesses are to stay open. Um, so one thing that I wanted to talk about is, do you think that physical therapy is an essential business? Ooh, ooh, Bob Chang, pulling out the big guns. So, so, so think, I'm just going to talk about, like, the actual laws, about, like, what the laws state. First, yeah, talk, talk about the actual laws, because sometimes I think laws are overrated, but we've yeah. got to understand them to know when to break them. No, I'm I'm only half kidding, but I am kind of half kidding. Anyways, yeah. go ahead, Bob. So, I think the, the NYPTA, so... The, the New York Physical Therapy Association said that uh, physical therapy is considered an essential business um, in terms of law. Um, so they are available to be open. But, again, you have to be cautious, but also alert about um, the, the potential spread of any, any sort of illness. Um, so that's the law itself. And then they, they also uh, advocated the use of telehealth as well. Um, but, but I'd love to, to talk about it, just just talk about whether you think physical therapy is essential, whether it's not essential. What, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, Bob, I'll read this um, 
topic off with a question, a text that I got from a friend of mine today who's actually, uh, I believe she's one year younger than you in the PC program now. Yeah, um, at Ithaca College. And, you know, she basically asked me, you know, what does this all mean for our future profession? And it's a, you know, a, a darn good question to ask that. I don't know if I have all the answers for myself for exactly what it means in terms of this implementation of telehealth, where is it going, what the future of physical therapy exactly looks like. Um, here's what I will say for your question about central services. I think it really is kind of a the cost-benefit analysis for this certain situation. Um, you know, if we've got people that are um, came off of, so the Kaiser, the exceptions we're making to have people come in are um, post-op, after surgery. So I saw a guy today that he had a knee replacement coming in for essential physical therapy care because if he doesn't get that care, what's going to happen is he's basically going to pay somebody to have his knee cut open and have scar tissue bind down and have even worse function. So it's if, you know, they their prognosis is significantly impacted by not receiving services and impacted enough where we are saving them from other future um, major negative care, saving them from the fall risk, saving them from many other things that they wouldn't be able to function for themselves at home. So again, what we do is always related to function. Sometimes this involves optimal function, athletic performance, that kind of thing. Um, we're not touching anything that is anywhere close to that at all. Um, so we're looking at kind of bare minimum, basic, very basic essentials. Huh. Um, so okay. it's, I think I think it depends a ton, patient by patient, um, but there's a huge variability in there. Yeah, yeah, of course. There's and it depends on what the patient comes in for, what the patient's condition is. Um, for example, with um, the, the COVID-19, many of the cases are pneumonia. Many of the cases are respiratory stress disorders. Um, and especially in the inpatient or the acute inpatient physical therapy realm, um, that you, you could make a very good argument saying that um, they're very crucial in the process of getting people um, getting people their activity for their respiratory health when they're in that critical state or not. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, I'd also make the argument the other way where, you know, I agree that they are extremely essential for all operations and what they do um, for inpatient. But I'd also argue that for outpatient, if we think of this in terms of, you know, what's the real goal that we're trying to get for these people? It's not about um, changing the area under the curve. We're trying to flatten the curve. So we're trying to basically slow the rate of progression by saying that, hey, eventually we're going to have about the same number of people ultimately affected because our bodies have not built up an immune system, immune response to this. That's kind of what we're saying right now from our government's approach along the way. And again, it's a going to be challenging whether that does actually happen or not. I'd like to hope and think that, hey, we're actually having less cases spread. So let's say we're not, Bob. Let's say that we're waiting this thing out two, three, four months down the road, which all in all could be likely. There are some predictions that say, hey, this thing could easily go to August. If we just, if we know some people are going to get it and there are some people who are not at significant risk, I think taking some very calculated risks, having certain members of society who are not, who are going to be cautious with what they do, but still make it to physical therapy appointments, still make it to baseline medical care so that their medical health does not down, uh, does not regress. I think it's worthwhile for them to see a physical therapist, even for the quote unquote non-essential defined by, let's say, Kaiser for now. Um, but essential in terms of kind of normalizing function for themselves to prevent a lot of further issues from our system. You know, down the road, there's going to be, once this whole thing kind of blows over eventually, and I don't mean blow over to belittle it, it's a real thing. But once it blows over, calms down, dies down, 
what we're going to run into is a lot of secondary economic effects and secondary health effects for a ton of people. Yes. So I was I was talking to somebody about this recently as well, and they were telling me that our biggest concern right now, like people that are healthy, is is to not become unhealthy. Um, because if you become unhealthy or, or say somebody, for example, that doesn't go to physical therapy because they have knee pain and then uh, because they're quarantined and not going to physical therapy for the month, they got they need a total knee replacement. And that is taking up resources in the hospital that could be from that, that could be used to save lives that, that are um, from the patients with COVID-19. So, so, because there's an overflow of like patients from this this uh, illness, um, so physical therapy also like plays a part in reducing the amount of resources that would be added to the system. Absolutely, and we all know kind of the healthier if we talk about not just our system for kind of socio-economical, um, political, statewide system, countrywide system, but a system in terms of our body. The healthier our system of our body is overall the better our immune function and system is. So if we're creating kind of less resilient people not doing as much over time, they're going to be more susceptible for future issues as well yeah. down the road. That Not that necessarily physical therapy is um, we're in the realm of prevention. prevention. Um, we're not necessarily in terms of insurance um, kind of um, getting billed. Um, and getting acceptance reimbursed by insurance, but we really do sell prevention in a lot of the work that we do, and we have to center around that. Correct. So, Nick, tell me more about the the telehealth aspect. I know that since there's COVID-19, physical therapy, like the whole Association of Physical Therapy, is making a big push to the telehealth field. Um, There was a push before, but that wasn't, like, really, I guess, deemed as necessary, but now since people are quarantined, people are don't leave their house. Um, I want to hear your thoughts about physical uh, physical therapy on telehealth. Because yeah, it absolutely. sounds like you've been doing it for a, is it a week now? You've been doing uh, telehealth visits? Yeah, I've been doing it to some, uh, to some level through Kaiser for um, two weeks now. And um, just starting to through um, my job at Evolution. So I'll um, – was a great question, Bob. And I'll, I can certainly talk about my experience, and I know certainly many other people have much more experience, people who have built their businesses around it for four or five years now. Correct, yes. Um, what I'll say from my perspective, um, first of all, going back to that text message I got from a friend of mine that, you know, what does this mean for the future of our kind of careers, our um, profession? What comes to my mind is that exactly what you talked about, about people having the knee pain, it can progress, it can get worse. I think we need to have better prevention systems in place. I think we need to have better systems that do a better job about people taking ownership over their own bodies even before they go to medical care. I think we need to inform people better about, hey, here's some common things. Here, then here's some common things you can do to treat it with a general active lifestyle, with certain um, strengthening, with certain mobility exercises. Uh, then if there's something beyond that, if there's something, hey, you get the warning signs and actually do something about it when the warning signs are striking, uh, then you say, hey, I need some extra help that this is beyond my means right now. That's the perfect time for a healthcare professional to step in. In your own self-initiative, it might be, you know, a day or it might be a week, whatever that is for you, for you to feel like, hey, you can take a serious shot at it by yourself with some great resources, uh, then we set you up with a healthcare professional further from there. I think it's some of the work like uh, Dr. Kelly Starrett is doing and the benefits of that, you know, having worked with him um, just shortly and kind of seeing him as a mentor both in person and then um, for, through a lot of his work too. I think people who work in systems like that, that's going to be extremely important, Bob. And it all comes back to access, right? Because the whole idea of telehealth and telehealth right now in this day and age where um, certainly we had it before. It's kind of a cool thing. It's, hey, the technology is evolving. Let's do something to match the technology. There was really never a huge impetus, right? Because the people who needed physical therapy were the ones who needed to be physically active to do something. So they needed to get there or they needed to be in hospitals. So there wasn't as much of a drive. 
And certainly there is a question of is insurance going to reimburse it or not. Well, now here's the issue, Bob. Now it, because in the past it almost used to be an argument of, hey, which is more effective compared to two? Is it more effective to have physical therapy in person or telehealth? I mean, that was kind of the argument. Or yeah. would you agree? Would you think any differently? Yes, no, that, that was what research was looking at. And and I think, honestly, I think outcomes along down the road, a far distance, will be similar. I don't think they'll be as good. Um, you know, whether a year later they're as statistically significant or not, I don't know. They probably will be for about 65, 70% of people. I, I do think and I do believe that with some skilled um, clinicians. Do I think the outcomes will happen as quick? No. Do I think that it's going to work for every single person? No, you've got to have buy-in, and sometimes the cases are too complex. Um, and that's not, not necessarily complexity is the issue, but there are certain diagnoses, treatment styles that require more of an in-person approach. But that's not the question anymore, Bob. It's not about which one's more effective. It's about can I have access to these services? And it's not the question of telehealth or in person, it's the question of yes or no. And so when it's simply, can I have access to physical therapy? And the typical go-to of in-person services, when you go to that and the answer for some people is no, because of business closures, because of you know prevention for this corona issue that is a significant issue for people right now. I mean, people are dying of it. Um, and we're trying to prevent the spread going on. We just got word out here that the um, first inmate in uh, the California prison system that was confirmed with a case of corona, which if there's one inmate confirmed, we all know there's more than one confirmed. That's going to be confirmed real soon. There are five prison guards who are confirmed with it. So this is spreading and spreading, and it's spreading pretty darn quick. Um, so we know that it's affecting a lot of people. So again, the question right now is access. So if you ask, can I have access to in-person physical therapy? And the answer is maybe or no. And then you, have, you ask the question, can I have access to physical therapy at all? And if we can move that to a yes, that's going to be your answer. Huh. So it sounds like originally before this pandemic, there was like a whole debate of like health versus a traditional care, the pros and cons of both, the pros and cons of just doing telehealth by itself or doing physical therapy by itself. Uh, there was like a debate, but now because of this, of their like of this social distancing, of this um, people being quarantined and not having both financial and physical needs to get to to physical therapy, it's, it's more of a question of is telehealth even something that's people are able to get. Right. So should it even be worth considering? Um, and I think, you know, if it's, again, between services or not, no services, I think it's an obvious answer in my mind. I'm not, you know, arrogant enough to say that, oh, my gosh, they, they have to come in the clinic with us. And, you know, don't get me wrong. Yes, I love my manual therapy. Well, yes, I love my, you know, manipulations and working hands-on stuff. And I think that that's great when it's indicated. But most of what we do is what we work between our ears. And no, Bob, it's not your favorite to get hit in the face muscle, although we do a little bit of that too. But it's our critical thinking, reasoning, and educating our patient. And we can do that through other mediums where it's not in person. Okay. I, I, I do agree with everything you said. Um, a further question I, I would ask maybe to add to this discussion is how do we – how do we con- convince the general public, even with like this this pandemic scare, that, that physical therapy is essential and that telehealth is an option that people should go to? That's a good that question, Bob. That's, yeah, it does. That's a great question. So for me, that's not a question about how do we convince society or a certain group. For me, that's a question about how do we convince one person at a time. Because we get them to tell their, I mean, boy, people are quarantined anyway, right? They're isolated anyway. They're going to talk. They're going to kind of jabber more than usual about a good or a bad experience. Let's get one person at a time a really good experience. Let's get them to be able to solve a solution, find an answer to something that they otherwise didn't think they'd be able to do. Bob, I want to share um, two cases I had today 
for telehealth physical therapy visits, if you don't mind. Yeah, go ahead. Um, yeah, one of them um, was scheduled originally for a brand new eval that I'd see uh, for some shoulder pain. And I reached out to him and said, you know, unfortunately, um, policy change and that we're um, no longer really seeing patients um, in person at Kaiser, which in my mind sounds crazy to say for this short term. Um, we're seeing people via telehealth. And he, was, he we were talking on the phone. He basically said, uh, I'm not really interested in that. I'm interested in uh, just seeing the MRI. And I said, okay, that um, that makes sense. You know, I see in the notes here that you injure yourself bench pressing, you're having some pain doing some push-ups, performance and everything. Um, and, you know, I respect that you want to get the MRI. Now, whether I actually respect it or not, it's a different story. And for his situation, I kind of do. Um, but, you know, I played along his side and I said, um, so what do you think the MRI is going to tell you? And we talked about that a little bit. We talked about his perceptions of saying, well, I'm going to know what's, what's torn, what's going on and everything. I said, yeah, you're probably right. And you're at the time frame three weeks out where it's going to have a clear picture and show you really well. But then we talked about, is that going to help you recover? Is that going to help you um, move differently? And MRI is a nice, fancy, beautiful picture of you being still in one moment in one position. And does that give the full complex picture of, hey, what can you do for yourself movement-wise, can we do movement screenings? Can we um, have you do different positions, tell you what irritates, what doesn't, so I can put you in new positions and introduce new motions to you that are going to support you? So I got this guy who was, you know, even reluctant to come into physical therapy to begin with. He basically told me that, hey, his doctor told him to come and that he really just wanted MRI. He was, he was hesitant to even come into in-person physical therapy. But then I kind of, you know, changed his beliefs a little bit and said, okay, there might be something here. Let me get this guy on a video call. So I'm for a video call today. Uh, he, and again, this is a case of can you get absolutely everything in a um, – can you get absolutely everything in um, a video call? Yeah. yeah, video call, not necessarily. Can you get everything you need to treat a patient safely the majority of the time? Yes, and safely, correctly majority of the time, yes. And I'm humble enough to admit when I can't. He had, you know, he injured his shoulder. Um, he was bench pressing. He, this was a day he warmed up less than usual. Um, he was on a couple of the quick warm-up sets. He added a dumbbell press drop set. Um, so he warmed up with 225 as he normally does for a few reps. Um, then he busted right away to, I think it was 285. Uh, Might have been 275. Either way, that he, uh, he, on the rep number six, he felt a twinge in the shoulder. He had enough strength to put it back up, re rack it. You know what? I'm calling it good. Shoulder had a tiny bit of swelling, um, minimal, no major bruising or anything. And, you know, that's what we were working with. And over time, it's slowly kind of gotten better for him. He has some pain with, um, on exam now, some pain with some overhead positions. I, um, because again, he's an active guy, he's got some good strength to him. Normally, kind of hands on, we'd have to do some more resistant tests and heavier testing to get at it because of his large ability to compensate. If I was to get, I didn't get his man. If I was to guess, he was probably 6'2, probably, oh, 260 pounds. If I had to guess, put my, um, finger on it and you know a, a healthy muscle at 260 pounds um and so i had to do some kind of resisted test and special tests from the um teasing out biceps tendon labral um pecking everything at the end of the day i and some rotator cuff tests i don't know what the exact tissue was i don't know whether hey it's a little bit coming off the corporate process a little bit of irritation long head of the bicep labral issues or whether he has had some acute shoulder pain um, and does a tissue source directly matter? I know positions that irritate him. I know positions that are better. So what I do for interventions, I relate it back to what he was doing. We changed his push-up form to do more scap stabilization um, that we were able to demonstrate back and forth. I was able to analyze how we did push-ups that was still bothering him a little bit on video. We did some overhead work, and really I couldn't make any modifications without being there that changed his symptoms. So I said, okay, maybe that was a little, that mobility was a little bit true before the injury anyway. I'm not going to complain about it. He's complaining about the bench press motion. So when the push-ups, 
and we were able to change that, talk about the different principles of rotation. And all I literally gave him for an exercise program was push-ups. And he was able to do it pain-free, do it in very specific ways, very specific rotation. And we were able to really get him feeling better at the end of that eval. Again, this is somebody, Bob, that was reluctant to come into PT yes. in person. So I think that telehealth can offer people a lot if it's used correctly. But I also think it's about the practitioner setting their expectations about what kind of information are they going to gather or are not going to be able to gather, and can they kind of get over themselves with that? Well, um, that that's a great case to, to share, just to, to show how telehealth can bridge bridge the gap between people not coming in, people being quarantined, people needing to stay home. Um, one thing I'm, well, I, I am curious about, well, more on like the technical aspects. Um, so, so you had him do the resistance test, special test, all by himself? Yes, I did. For him specifically, based on kind of my clinical reasoning for, um, to, for, um, for him, his body awareness, knowledge. Um, now, I did I have him go through cardinal plane um, resistance test? No, because I didn't think that would give me any more information than what I already had. I had him go through very specific um, positions. Um, to test, hey, what's your pec mobility, irritability with that? Hey, can I target, put some stress on the long head, the bicep, in different rotation positions? Can we get at the complaint of your pain? Um, so there are a couple of very specific tests that I had him apply some resistance to with his other um, arm because he, would, because he was able to. Um, but that certainly would not be for everybody. Okay. Wow. That's interesting. That's a, that's a great case to share. Um, just that just this whole idea of telehealth can get people even through the door when the door is not physically there. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I think um, if I'm to fast forward, Bob, if, if I'm to say, hey, let's say post-corona, right? If we go back to the text of what does this mean for our profession? If we talk about post-corona, what can telehealth mean for us in the future besides just being a yes or no, besides just relying on it or not? versus in-person. I think it's an awesome access point. I think it's an awesome access point for an evaluation that you've seen the person in person already. People live busy lives. They want to have an extra booster session. Let's say you see them once a week or once every two or three weeks in person because that's what they can do. They're an executive. They live a busy life. And, you know, you, you trust them with a certain amount of body awareness or whatever, and it's a certain check-in. And you can do a lot um, through video or through the phone. I had one situation today where I um, had a follow-up appointment with a person um, for her follow-up right after an eval. I had an eval with her last Monday, had a follow-up with her today. That follow-up, Bob, for the telehealth is through just a phone call because that's what they had access to at that time, and I was able to do a heck of a lot. We were we talked about kind of the home – so she had some – uh, neurodynamic tension of the sciatic nerves um, on one side, significant kind of excessive posterior pelvic tilt on that side, um, which affected leg length discrepancy a little bit, left-sided low back pain. She was an athlete. She's a personal trainer by profession and a dietitian by profession recently. Young girl, loves to, uh, loves, to, loves, to, loves to play basketball. So there's a lot of stuff going on there, right? Yes. So just to clarify, you said just the phone call? So no video call. No video. No. So I did an in-person evaluation last week. Yes. So we had that. I had just the phone. It was literally like Bob, like you and me talking on the cell phone right now. This is oh, the wow. level of communication I had with her for our telehealth physical therapy session. Interesting. So it's, you know, how do I bet on myself as a clinician for how can I describe things? How can I um, help her put her in different positions? And because I've already had an evaluation with her, okay, I can draw on those experiences. We can talk about that. And I can talk about, hey, what kind of words do, does she use and get really specific about repeating her language back to her so that she understands the message that I'm trying to instill. And so, um, you know, when my kind of plan for her, um, if she came into an in-person session for physical therapy, what would I want to do for her? 
I would want to recheck her neuro. So basically for a home exercise program last time I gave her, cause like walking was irritating. 10 minutes of walking, she was shot. Awful. Low back pain, hamstring related pain. For home exercise, I told her to keep walking, monitor threshold and take shorter steps. A straight leg raise test is the same thing as walking forward with a long stride for initial contact. And she, she's fairly tall for a chick too, a uh, basketball player and everything. Um, so shorter strides. I want her to monitor her kind of progress is how much time, what's the intensity of pain with that. And then I gave her a, uh, a seated and a standing version of a nerve glide um, to help calm down that sciatic nerve irritation that she calls her hamstring pain because at work she has both a sitting desk and a standing desk that she can alternate from so options in both then i gave her a um dead bug exercise to again work that sciatic nerve back and forth to both lower extremities stabilize the core a little bit um her back pain was irritated by doing a extension and left side bend rotation quadrant so left sided back pain around L3 area. Um, so it stabilized the core, worked out nerve tension. So that worked out well for her. And on the, so that was homework for her. And so I'm kind of programming already to say, okay, how does this affect, you know, the back pain, the glute pain versus the hamstring related pain for you? And how does it affect different ones? Well, she came back to me on this phone call and we basically talked about home program, how's it going? She asked questions about it and I said, great. I checked on her with those very specific things. Hey, how's walking? Uh, it's it's okay. Actually, I was able to uh, decrease my step length, and I actually realized that I'm not having as much pain after, but also if I get carried away because I keep walking fast, I slow down my step length, I can actually feel an immediate like, decrease in tension. That before for her was just her resting level when she was walking, so we can change that immediately for her. Really good sign. She's now able to walk 20 to 30 minutes with a little bit less pain versus um, an increased pain around 10 minute mark from before. Um, she even added some of her own exercises, some body weight squats and lunges, other things like that. She got a little irritated with a couple things. So I told her, you know, any modifications on the mountain climbers that she decided to throw in. So we made modifications on that. Uh, then, you know, if she came in in clinic in person, again, like I said, I want to test um, neural mobility for her. I would want to do some hands-on manual therapy um, for addressing the right, um, sorry, the um, posteriorly tilted um, SI joint because it was a major difference. I mean, I had my two thumbs together and there was no overlap between the fingers and I could see visibly on the gate that um, the pelvis that was posteriorly rotated, activating more the glutes um, was shorter in stance, so functionally contributing to more of a side bend to compress that extension quadrant she was going through. And then in addition to that, she had a better single leg stance on the side and single leg squat on the side that was posteriorly tilted. So again, better glute activation, glute inhibition on the relative anterior pelvic tilt, causing some imbalances with that. So I, don't, I definitely, as we talked about before, I'm not chasing after that side joint, but I thought it was a significant contribution at this time. So Bob, out of all those things, but I don't have that, right? I don't even have in-person stuff, right? So what am I going to do to kind of help try and replicate some of those things to do a manual therapy-esque approach with her over the phone? Well, did you, like, have her – did you just guide her through over the phone, like, about what you wanted to do manually and then to have her do it herself? Yeah, yeah, pretty pretty much I did. Um, now, again, I don't want to get all wonky, you know, and she's a personal trainer, she's a dietitian, she's an athlete, good body awareness. I get skeptical with teaching people kind of how to do hands-on things for themselves. I'm not saying skeptical in terms of I never do it. I actually do it a good amount, but I want there to be visuals. I want to see them do it um, for 95% of people. So I didn't have her do hands-on things that got her there, but what I did was I said, okay, I want to address tolerance to back extension, some of the tightness there, and I for that left quadrant, and I want to address, um, bring her left pelvis from posterior tilt to more of an anterior tilt and help with that. So what I did was I, I said, hey, you got any pillows? She said, of course I do. So I said, okay, sweet, grab two pillows, put them on the ground, lay on your stomach, 
the pillows are going to be over your left thigh, your left quad. She says, okay, sweet. Just that side? Perfect. Just that side. Right leg out straight. So she's laying on the ground prone. I don't care where her head is. I don't care where her hands are. And she pops up her left leg up in the air doing a, if you imagine, a um, anterior glide, anterior rotation for the left nominate. To help get that down as if you press on the PSIS. I had her do a self-muscle energy technique where she's using hip flexion through the left hip to drive down into the pillows and then relax. She's going to do that three or four contractions for a 10-second holds for about a minute each day. So wow. then what do we do after that? We stand up so I feel so I can determine, hey, oh, no, then I had to go through some bridges for some core retraining to kind of balance out symmetry. Then after that, I had her stand up and say, okay, let's uh, let's test that again. Hey, you remember in eval when I had you do that kind of weird reaching back motion that you slid your left uh, hand down your left thigh and you said, ooh, there's a big pinch there? And she said, yeah, I remember that. Okay, you're going to do that now and you're going to tell me how it is. She did that um, and I'm, I'm trusting her that she did it the same. Again, I'm trusting her body. We're in a space in the conversation and comprehension she's telling me. And she said, okay, I got... Uh, I got a little bit of a pinch, but it's only a small one. It's at the very, very end. And I said, okay. And again, I knew that that was better um, from her language and how the way she was saying it. So I said, okay, how does that compare to the first time in eval? Because I wanted to hear her, her perception of it. And again, this is all over the phone box. And she said, oh, it's definitely better. It's less of a pinch and it's a further range. I said, sweet. So you're going you're gonna to do that. And actually, even at one point when we were laying down, we she was laying down. I was chilling on the phone. Um, she said, hey, I feel like, again, this is her, like, a sign of how good um, she is with her awareness. She said, hey, I feel like, you know, this is putting my, my hips in a bad position. I feel like this is uh, putting my pelvis um, into an anterior tilt. And she actually said that. You know, she's a personal trainer. She said, hey, in the past, I've, had my, I've been too forward tilted. I'm trying to correct my posture. Um, so I said, hey, you're right. This is, and here's the reason behind it. Here's why I think it is. I think this is contributing to some of the pain at your, where she described as her gluteal fold, putting extra tension on, not tension for um, stretch, but more of a compression tension um, on the sciatic nerve area. And we talked about that for a little bit. She said, okay. And again, that's why I had her stand up and test it again. Now, if I was a true scientist about it and probably, Bob, this is me having a lack of thinking ahead, I would have tested that motion with her standing, that extension quadrant first before I had her do anything, but then go ahead and do that, and then test it again, because now I don't know, hey, did that get better because of that little mobilization stretch we did, or did it get better because of all the good week worth of work she did? And I think it's a lot of both. So what I'm hearing from these two cases, Nick, it sounds like you can get a lot of you can get a lot of information that's safe and effective to treat a patient um, through telehealth, either through a video call or on a phone, which which amazes me that you can do all that through a phone. Um, I think, I mean, the coronavirus is very serious. It's very terrible, uh, both financially and physically for mental and mentally for mental people, for many people. Um, but I think it's also like a blessing in disguise to, to allow physical therapy to have a better and bigger push on telehealth, to making it more like open and respected, I guess, or, or more normalized by the public. Um, I, I, I like the word normalized, Bob. I really, I really like that because it's not shoving it down its throat. It's not saying that hey, this is the future. It's no, this is hey, this is an option. It's normalized. Yes, because I, I know there have been uh, like doctors' offices that do have telehealth, and that's more normalized than physical therapy telehealth. But since since there's this scenario that's happening sure, right I mean, now. I mean, in patients' mind, it's like, what, you're taking the physical out of phys- physical exactly. therapy? What even is this anymore? Yes. So um, I think it's the, the whole situation, even though it's terrible, it's, it's having a, a good and better effect on the telehealth side of physical therapy, which, like we talked about through this whole episode, that it is an added benefit, an added um, another option for for people to get the help and the need for for themselves. 
if it's to reduce um, healthier costs, if it's to reduce pain, if it's to um, prevent excessive usage from the hospital, whatever it's, it's sounds like a great option. And because when I came into this call, I had no idea what what you can do with telehealth, like physical therapy. If there's it's physical is in the name of therapy, like you said. Um, and and obviously, like of course, there's many many clinicians that do t- use telehealth um, and have been practicing for a while that are successful clinicians and cl- clinics. Um, so again, I feel like this is this whole coronavirus is pushing telehealth in a more normalized direction. So which is good, which I I believe is good. Yeah, absolutely. And we've said this kind of over and over the last few episodes, Bob. But uh, you know, nobody would ever wish this to happen. But it's not about erasing it. It's about okay, what can we do with this opportunity that we don't want? How can we make the most out of this situation? Yes. Or or another way would be to like what opportunities are there to 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 seize, or rather than just just quit. Right. Uh, absolutely right. We're not sitting down and full. We have to continue to evolve as a profession in this ever-evolving, adaptable world. Well, but thank you for sharing. Like that was that was a great insight on, on like how you, you mentioned that you using the the pillows, doing the the quote-unquote manual therapy that's self at home. Um, that that in itself was like, whoa! Like you can do that. If you have just if you're creative enough, if you're creative enough, if you're just able to think just a little bit outside the box, um, physical therapists can have play a huge role in this telehealth movement that's yeah. becoming bigger and bigger because of the coronavirus. And like you said, post coronavirus, it's telehealth just going to become normalized. Right. Um, you know, some some of the first not first questions, but when I'm in it, you got lots of patients for telehealth. I say, hey, what exercise-related equipment do you have? And they might say nothing, and that's totally fine. But it's the same thing. It's about getting my creative juices flowing. It's about saying, hey, what are my options here? What are my constraints? Um, What do I have to work with? Do they have something that they already like? For example, um, the guy who injured himself bench pressing, he mentioned that he had this, um, like these uh, things he called like perfect push-up handholds, where basically they're like a swivel to for, to allow rotation through a push-up. So, you know, is that good? Is it bad? It allows more um, a freedom of relative open chain rotation for a push-up versus a true closed chain. Um, you know, it, it's a tool. It's utility. So we talked about, you know, how you can do that to um, bias them in rotation different ways to get them out of positions of irritability, buy into some of the knowledge that he already has, and take him just a, a baby step higher so he has room and desire to grow with it. He's telling him something he already knows and giving him the next foot forward with it. And um, certainly these techniques aren't for everybody in terms of, you know, these are two patients where um, they had a certain level of body awareness, expectations, um, past experiences, but it's all about drawing on your patient's experience and just like you do in real life in the clinic. Well, then how can you utilize it? Sometimes the steps, you have to take a little bit more baby steps, um, draw them in a little bit more when you're virtual, but that's okay. Um, and I'm, I'm going to lead it back to Bob. You know, when we got a doctorate of physical therapy education from for physical therapy, I'm not talking we as in you and I. I'm talking about for our profession from transitioning from a master's degree to a doctorate degree. What was the rationale? What was the reason behind that? The rationale behind getting a doctorate? Yeah, why did our profession change from or at least what's the reason they tell us they changed, um, aside from tuition reimbursement for an extra year, what well, is the <laughs> external rationale they gave us for why we should be doctors of physical therapy instead of masters of physical therapy? Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I think it's because physical therapists as a profession are, like they like people can come in and they can redirect access, they can get treated um by a physical therapist, they can get screened properly. They have the knowledge of a doctor or equivalent to a doctor, and that's why uh, many all the physical therapist program pushed for a doctorate degree. Yes, you ace it. You you ace it, dude. The words direct access, and you gave all the rationale behind that. So let me ask you another question, Bob. What skills do we have to have as physical therapists that were supposedly promoted as the doctorate level 
for us to be good and um, to have good efficacy to own direct access, to have direct access for our profession. What, what makes skills, us unique? What skills, not unique, what skills do we have to have that maybe weren't emphasized in our curriculum before? Well, it, it, one would be like the medical screening process. Two would be, I guess, the time that physical therapists put in to, to examine and communicate with the patient. I don't know if that's the answer you're looking for, um, but that's the first thing that comes into my mind. Well, Bob, you already said again. Um, I was going more so with the medical screen, but certainly the pathoanatomical um, and biopsychosocial understanding to educate patients, that's huge too. Um, so again, ace in it. So to remind us as a profession where we're at and is telehealth good or not. You do have to cut some corners a little bit. You do have to have the basics. But it's cutting corners for patient safety. It's putting kind of, um, I think about in-person physical therapy, like Gouda cheese. Gouda cheese. Solid, it's thick, it's dense. You make a nice, real good grilled cheese sandwich out of it. I think of telehealth physical therapy like Swiss cheese. There are a few holes in the plan. There are some things you can't do, you can't address. Does it still make a banging grilled cheese sandwich of a slightly different flavor? Absolutely. This is an awful comparison because I'm lactose intolerant. I, <laughs> I am too, but I think that's a very good analogy. Okay. Um, so, so personally, it sucks, but uh, otherwise, it's fantastic. Thank you, Bob. Um, as professions, as professionals in physical therapy, we are trained at clinical reasoning. We are trained at a medical screening process. So even if you're, so when you see a patient in clinic, we're comfortable telling them, dude, you're not fit for PT. Maybe not in those exact words and exact expression. But we're comfortable saying, you know, let's consult with a doctor. I don't feel clinically safe treating you. And that may mean that they go on to a different PT who's more of an expert and says, hey, I do feel safe treating you because of A, B, and Z. They can do that. I also want to add one more thing. One more thing. I'm going to continue on with this to the end of saying, hey, they're in telehealth PT. If you don't feel comfortable treating them over the medium that you were able to treat them in, you have the right to tell them that for their health and for their safety. It's our job not to kill people first and foremost. I mean, that's what we're best at coming out of school is not killing people. All the other stuff, stuff we refine to a better degree. Yes. I agree, Nick. I agree that there are some holes in the cheese with Swiss cheese and telehealth, but it still makes a great sandwich. Um, Gouda cheese. Um, I'm not familiar with Gouda cheese, but I assume there's also holes in Gouda cheese as well. Uh, there, There is not, Bob. There's, there's not <laughs> holes in Gouda cheese. Okay. Um, that, that, was, that was kind of the whole point of the analogy. But, Bobby, it doesn't do any good to say, hey, there is a, you know, um, there's there's in-person physical therapy, and that's like Swiss cheese. But then there's telehealth physical therapy, and that's like Swiss cheese. <laughs> well, so but the argue, well, what I'm trying to say is that sometimes in in-person physical therapy, there there all are holes as well. So I think it works both ways. So are, are there more holes more more holes in telehealth physical therapy um, relative to physical therapy in person? Sure, but I I still believe that. It works both ways. That there may be more. There may be holes in both sides. Absolutely, there there are holes in both, and it's all about the practitioner at hand. And like we said, if you don't feel comfortable treating a patient based on your findings, then that's fine. If you would change your approach, slightly modify it to hey, you would do something slightly different on telehealth versus in person. Not only sure that's fine but good right we're adapting our approaches to the medium to the situations around us as we need to constantly be doing as people who pride ourselves in clinical reasoning and again the question is we have to change our mindset the question is not which one's better the question is about access if we have the luxury to ask ourselves which one is better then you really can't lose in my mind yes yes i agree I think, <laughs> I think today's episode was, was great about where is physical therapy going? Um, is physical therapy essential? The the movement of telehealth in physical therapy and how it's going to be a whole shift and be normalized in the future. 
Uh, I think it's it's a overall great episode because of the coronavirus. Because we're in the midst of a pandemic. This is going to go down in the history books. Um, and I think it's great to talk about. Absolutely, Bob. It was a it was a pleasure. And you know we uh we may be taking a ride on the crazy train, but uh hey, so, as long as long as we're in control, we're still in the right direction. That's correct. So one thing that so last week we talked about um, applying for residencies, doing some of that, and then one of the goals that you set for me last week was was to reach out to residencies, which I did. Um, and, and this episode, I also wanted to ask you a little bit more about residencies, like the process in general, because we talked about if residencies are worth it, if residencies are worth it or not. Um, so I feel like we could leave that for next week, just talking about the advice for residency for applicant uh, applying for residencies and also um more of the education side because i think that'll be a helpful episode as well um just advice practical tips the whole process now obviously the whole process was recorded as you were doing this um but i think it'll be nice to have a whole episode dedicated to it as well absolutely bob i would love that and certainly you know Along the way, as we did record that through my process with it, um, I had different bits of information along the way that continued to grow. And certainly, I'm sure I have a slightly different perspective now. Um, a lot of fundamentals hold true. A different perspective now going through that now that I can kind of see where I am, envision my future, and looking back on what I've already done. So I think it's a great plan for next week. Let's hit yeah. some accountability stuff real quick, and let's uh, keep on keeping on, my friend. So... For the business side right now, everything's closed. So my mom's business is closed as well. So any sort of like business side for advertisement-wise would be wasteful. Um, so I thought, just moving, thinking forward, I was uh, planning on applying to residency. So I think I used to work on just writing my residency essay, just having my first draft or piece by the next time I talk to you. And then that'll also boot us into this residency talk in general. Okay, let me uh, let me hone you in for a little bit more specifics with that, Bob. Um, so you said first draft. I like that a lot. Each residency itself has different questions. So yes. a lot of those questions might overlap. A lot of those questions might be the same. Um, what I'm not telling you what to do. I'm asking you, um, based on that knowledge and understanding, what do you want your specific accountability to be for next week with that in mind? So... Well, one of the main residencies that I want to get into is or, or want to do is the McKenzie residency. Yep. And they also have a, a scholarship um essay as well. So but I wanna get either one of those done. I would say more so leaning towards the residency essay itself. Um and then Perfect. writing. So that. we're talking about the residency essay being a hundred percent completed for the first draft for the McKenzie residency. Yes, correct. Let's do that for next week. I like it, Bob. Perfect. All right. It was great talking to you, Nick. I hope you stay safe, stay healthy, um, and stay passionate. All right. I got I got one more thing for you, my friend. A stipulation. You don't have to say yes, but I encourage you to. I'm going to encourage you next week to read that first draft out loud on, on air. Okay. I like it. Yeah. All right. Ultimate accountability, brother. Ultimate accountability. All right, Bob. Pleasure as always, my friend. We'll talk to you next week. Perfect. Thank you. Bye-bye.